0: Well, good morning to uh, all of you and to all of you watching online and listening uh, through the marvels of the Internet and podcasts. And uh, we are in a series called Anothering as we are striving to do what we should do better than anyone else in the world. Uh, The leverage that we have that is our greatest, our capacity to love other people the way Jesus has loved us. Now, I need to begin with a couple of things. First, this past Friday, about 1030 in the morning, 16th hole Diamond Oaks Country Club, I made a hole in one. Second, it has nothing to do with the sermon. Now, here's the truth. I could have worked it in And you know, I could have worked it into the sermon, but it would have been cheesy. So I thought, I'm just going to say it up front. I made my first hole in one when I was 16 years old. That was 39 years ago. And so if it's 39 years before I make another one, I'm going to be 94, which at that point I will probably be the associate preaching minister, and I might not get to preach that next weekend. So this is my one shot to tell you, and I'm going to tell you now. I'm not going to bring it up ever again, but if Charlie does it, he may get fired. Uh, So, I received recently something that every father of a daughter can appreciate, an application for permission to date my daughter form. And it has what I think are some great questions every dad would want to know about any prospective date for his daughter. It starts with simple questions like name, date of birth, height, weight, IQ, GPA, (laughs) Boy Scout, rank. And then it goes to questions like the church you attend and how often. Then two short essay questions in 50 words or less explain what don't touch my daughter means to you. (laughs) And in 50 words or less, explain what late means to you. And then a couple of just what I would call fill-in-the-blank sentences. If I were to be shot, the last place I would want to be shot is in, thee, fill in the fill-in-the-blank. If I were to be beaten, the last bone I would want to be broken is, fill-in-the-blank. And then the one thing I hope this application does not ask is, and fill-in-the-blank. Then a few other simple questions like, have you ever been fingerprinted? Do you have any tattoos? And then you sign your name. And I like at the bottom it says, thank you for your interest. Please allow four to six years for processing. (laughs) Because accepting new or different people does not come easily to the flesh. It's one of the greatest Challenges faced by those of us who want to improve in our anothering. And we do want to improve, don't we? First, because we're under orders. We have a master, a Lord, who gave us the command. The not golden rule to love like we want to be loved, but the platinum rule to love like he loved us. So we do this because we're under orders. But it's more than that. We do this because we love Jesus. We really do love Jesus. And we really do believe He is the best example of what a life should look like that's ever lived. And we want to be more like Him. And so we're intentional about this business of trying to improve at anothering. And so it's one of our opportunities to let his church shine. And we talk a lot about how we've got to walk the walk, and that's so true. But in the business of anothering, we've also got to talk the talk. Especially when it comes to acceptance speech. Because few speeches are harder to write and harder to do right. Because there is a tension. And the tension that we live with is this. How do we as another's balance living with convictions and loving without conditions? See, we don't want acceptance to slip over into unacceptable compromise. And we hear about churches that have done that. Who have diminished the authority of Scripture that have discounted the deity and the supremacy of Christ, who have allowed in the church what Scripture calls unallowable immorality. We don't want to cross that line under the banner of acceptance. But here's the truth. Most church plants were really church splits. And most church splits were not over compromise of core biblical doctrines, but were instead fights about peripheral matters of opinion and interpretation. But we must be honest that what might just be a matter of opinion to me could be a matter of deep personal faith to you and this is true because we don't always appreciate how much culture has affected the way we read scripture it's always been this way and so in the first century for example you've got a church in Rome and you've got great diversity in that church particularly in Ethnic diversity, Jew and Gentile worshiping together, and this was a first in the history of the world. And you're gonna have some deep, deeply held convictions, but not held by all. You've got a Gentile Christian that has always kept the Sabbath. Now, he has accepted Jesus as his Messiah. Did that make him less of a Jew? It made him more of a Jew. A fulfilled Jew. Is he going to stop keeping the Sabbath? That to him would seem not just disrespectful, but dishonoring to God. But this Gentile Christian has never kept the Sabbath. He doesn't get the Sabbath, and he's not about to start trying. Now, how does this Jewish Christian Christian, love without any conditions that Gentile Christian who does not hold what is a deeply held conviction for him. As a Gentile, for years, you took meat to that idol, you placed it before that block of stone. Because it wasn't a block of stone to you. It was the place where you met with the God to whom you'd given allegiance. The God you were trying to appease. Now, the Jew always thought that was just a block of stone. There was no God there. And he never had a problem going to the store and buying that hunk of meat. That you had just prayed over. And taking it home to cook. But the Gentile cannot understand. How in the world you could take this meat that people believe they're giving to a god and treat it like steak. So how is he supposed to love without conditions this person who does not honor his deeply held conviction? Do you see how the culture in which you are raised has deeply impacted the way you see certain things in Scripture. In the little church in which I was raised, we not only did not allow the youth to swim together, we preached against what we called mixed swimming. Then when I went to Abilene Christian, I met kids from Florida and California whose youth groups would go to the beach together for devotionals. And I learned this principle, that A church's stance on mixed swimming was directly proportional to how close that church was to a major body of water. (laughs) Because culture has always affected and been a lens through which we try to read Scripture. Now, typically, our history has been in these situations to just part ways. I find it significant that Paul does not counsel That the people just meet in divided communities. He does not say, some of you meet over here and put up a sign that says church meets here with a big slab of meat in front. And others meet over here with a sign that says church meets here with a slab of meat and a big old mark through it. He says instead, Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. But of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude. You will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church. And try to build each other up. Another verse. Do not view relationships as disposable, even when we don't always agree. But it's not easy. It's not easy to love without conditions people who do not hold some of my deeply held convictions. In a sense, the whole book of Romans has been one long acceptance speech. And so in the first eight chapters, Paul basically reminds the church of that common salvation by grace through faith they all share. In chapter one, he says, you Gentiles were steeped in sin and totally depraved and far from God. But then in chapter 2, he says, you Jews, even though you had the law, were no better because you didn't keep the law that you had. In chapter 3, he says, no one is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in the next five chapters, he says, but righteousness has been credited to all of us the same way. By grace through faith as we have trusted in the offering of Jesus as the perfect Atoning sacrifice. So all of us have received salvation the same way. No matter who we are, what our culture was, or what we think. And then in the second half of the book, he then, he says, so, let's get practical. How are you going to live together? He says, you're going to live together by striving for peace. By stressing unity. By walking in the Holy Spirit. Spirit and by not forcing your personal convictions onto your brothers and your sisters. And he concludes in chapter 15 with these powerful words that we're going to live with for a second, starting in verse 5. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind With one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, anotherers picked up quickly that there were two another moments in that text. The first was that we are to be of the same mind with one another. Now, do not interpret be of the same mind with think alike. Because Paul has already said, you don't all think alike. And I'm okay with that. You see, it's naive To assume that if we all just read the Bible honestly, we would all reach the same conclusions. I remember as a young man, I was taught to evangelize with a flip chart method, And the very first chart was a man standing on a desert island with a Bible in the water floating to him. And the idea was, if you will just read the Bible sincerely with no one around helping you, you will reach the conclusions of the person that drew up the chart. That is naive and simplistic and frankly, it's dishonest. Because good, noble people can read the Bible sincerely and not always reach the same conclusions. Paul has already allowed for different opinions, even as he pleads for the same mind. Because to have the same mind with one another doesn't mean we all think alike. It means we all agree on the ultimate win. Illustrate that with a story from the NBA and the great player and legend and Hall of Famer Larry Bird. Who won championships and scoring titles with the Boston Celtics. His coach was Casey Jones. And one game, it's toward the end, the game is close A timeout is called, and Casey Jones has his team around him, and he's diagramming a play to run. When Larry Bird says in a loud voice, just get me the ball and tell everyone to get out of my way. And with a stern voice, Casey Jones looked up and said, I'm the coach of this team, and I will draw the plays. And then he turned back to the huddle and said, get Larry the ball and everyone get out of his way. Because they all agreed on the win. People with different convictions can love without conditions if we all agree to pursue the mind of Christ. We can have the same mind even if we don't have the same opinions. And we don't have to wonder what the mind of Christ is because Philippians 2 tells us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You see, unity does not require total agreement. It requires a total commitment to consider others ahead of yourself. Anotherers do not always think the same. But they think alike. Because they try to think like Jesus. Be of the same mind with one Another And accept one another. And here Paul says something that I never noticed for years that's very important. Two times in chapter 14, verse 14 and verse 20. Paul sides with the Jewish Christian on the meat question. He says clearly... All food is clean. If your conviction is that some food is not clean because it's been offered to an idol, Paul would say, you are wrong. But he is completely willing to accept those he thinks are wrong without trying to change their mind. Because he knows that love is always right. Anothering means accepting without fixing. Get that. You don't have to fix first and then accept. Now, the best illustration of this is one I've used several times, but I haven't used in about six years, and it comes from my marriage. Those of you who know me know I did not grow up in a touchy-feely family. My family had great affection for each other. We didn't show it with touch and with words. Jamie's family did. They were huggers. First time I went to her home, the whole family ran out in the yard and started grabbing people and squeezing people. And I thought I was at a convention of sumo wrestlers. It was scaring me to death. (laughs) And this really came to a head, our first Christmas together. Now, I'm giving all the young guys out here a heads up. Your first big fight in your first year of marriage is going to be, where are you going for the first Christmas? And I can give you the answer. So we were at Jamie's house that first year. (laughs) Now you need to know something about my family. I am a descendant of generations of accountants. My grandparents were accountants. My mother and father were accountants. My brother is a very good accountant. You know why accountants wear gray suits? is to add a little color to an otherwise drab existence. (laughs) And so when we would have Christmas, it would be exactly like you think accountants would do Christmas. We would get our chairs in a perfect semicircle around the tree. On one side of the chair would be a paper sack that you would put all the wrapping paper you tore off in for trash. On the other side of the chair would be a sack for bows because you save the bows for next Christmas because accountants are good stewards. We would start with the youngest person, and they would open a gift. They would put the trash in the trash sack, the bow in the bow sack, then they would hold up the gift so that we could all comment on what an appropriate gift that was for that particular person. We would also let them know that we had all the receipts in envelopes with their name on it (laughs) in case they needed to take it back, which was highly unlikely Because we had everyone's collar and sleeve size on three by five cards on file. (laughs) And then we would go to the next oldest person. And all the way around the room until all the presents were gone. It would take two or three hours to do a good, Ashley Christmas. So that first Christmas, we are at Jamie's house, and after the meal, we go into the room for the opening of the presents, and there are presents piled up to the roof, and I'm thinking, this is a six-hour Christmas. (laughs) Now, they did not have chairs in a semicircle, but I wasn't going to say anything my first year. When Jamie's mother said, one, two, three, go. And everybody just dove under the tree. And they started tearing things up and throwing things around. And nobody saw my first gift. And I could not find the bow sack anywhere in the room. (laughs) And the whole thing was over in 10 minutes. (laughs) And so that night in the guest bedroom, she and I had what I would call an unscheduled discussion that was probably... Precipitated by my statement, your family doesn't do Christmas right. <laughs> now, what we both had to learn is that her family does not do Christmas wrong, and my family does not do Christmas wrong, and neither family needed To be fixed. Now get this. Different doesn't always mean wrong. And wrong doesn't necessarily even mean change. God reserves the right to use people. Who are sometimes wrong. In fact if you think about it. He's got no other choice. And anotherers. Give up the right. To always have to be right. They excel at acceptance speech. What does that sound like? Well, let's get specific. Number one, it means that anotherers speak about the gospel and its implications. That anothering is deeply rooted in the radical message of the cross. Look again with me at the powerful message of verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Question, what conditions did you have to meet before Christ was willing to die for you? H.A. Ironside tells a story of a man named Bishop Potter that was on a transatlantic cruise. And he went down into his room where he met the fellow he would be going across the Atlantic sharing a cabin with. Sometime later, he found the ship's purser and said, I don't usually avail myself of this privilege. But may I keep my watch and valuables in the ship's safe? I am not sure that my roommate is a man of trustworthy character. To which the purser replied, that would be fine, Bishop. In fact, your roommate saw me earlier and made the same request because he's concerned about you. (laughs) Now here's the reality. The gospel reminds us of our common desperate need for grace. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, you need grace. It doesn't matter what your political persuasion is, you need grace. It doesn't matter whether you are deemed liberal or conservative. You need grace. And people who understand their desperate need for grace are profoundly impacted in the way they treat other people. You see, if I understand I desperately need grace, then if there is an area where I deem myself free, but you feel bound, an area that I deem you're conservative, you're traditional. My desperate need for grace will keep me from ever looking down on you. Having a condescending or arrogant attitude toward you. I need grace too much to do that. And if there is an area where you are free. But I am not. For I feel bound by a conviction you don't have. My desperate need for grace will keep me from judging you or questioning your motives just because you do not honor the conviction that I keep. Acceptance speech is grounded in the gospel because we remember Jesus died for people, not for points of view. And so we speak the gospel and its implications. Because God's praise is our ultimate preference. One right, another's never yield, is the right to give glory to God. Look again at verse 7. Christ accepted you. So you should accept each other, which will. Bring glory to God. God is praised. God is honored in the eyes of the world when the world sees in the church what it can't find anywhere else. And what it sees is not sameness. It sees a united people not because we all think alike. But because our allegiance to Christ has transcended all of our differences. When I was a student in college, a requirement for one of our courses was a field trip to a museum in San Antonio. And on the way back in our van, we began taking turns naming our favorite hymn and singing. And one brother in the back was from Korea. And he said that his favorite hymn was the Old Rugged Cross. Now, I'll be honest. My first thought was to stifle a rolling of my eyes. Because it was not one of my favorite hymns. Maybe because in my little church, when we sang it as a boy, it took 17 minutes to get through every verse of that song. But he... Said then, you must allow me to sing my favorite song in my heart language. And he began to sing in his native Korean tongue. And something happened. Maybe for the first time, I began to really listen to the words of that song. I will cherish the cross and lay down my trophies. And somewhere between San Antonio and Abilene, heaven came to earth and I experienced a holy moment. It dawned on me how cosmic This thing God was doing in Jesus. How big it was. That through the cross he is bringing the whole world back together. That our differences are big. But God is bigger. And that is always the main point of acceptance speech. Our God is bigger than this thing between us. And the world notices. And so we speak. Except when it's more loving to say nothing. Sometimes. Now listen close. Sometimes the best way to lift up Christ is to drop the subject. The best thing some of you could do in your relationships is just let it go. Because the relationship is more important than who's right. And so in verse 22 of chapter 14, Paul says, so whatever you believe about these things, he's talking about your personal faith convictions. He says, keep between yourself and God. The same verse in the New Century Version. Your beliefs about these things should be kept secret. Between you and God. Because sometimes silence really is golden and sometimes love is best heard because you stop talking and so a friend of mine shared a story with me a few years ago of one of his last visits with his mother before she died of cancer his mother attended a church in a town of many churches that some would call conservative. A church that not only viewed other churches with ill, but often spoke disparagingly of them. But when she started down the long cancer road, the family began To receive words and cards and flowers and notes and acts of kindness and deeds of service from the people at those very churches they had disdained. And he was there during one of those visits. And when the couple left, his mother turned to him and said... We've never had a close relationship with those people. We haven't agreed with them on a lot of things. But they really have showed love to me. And when you're dying, the differences over those issues don't seem to matter. And with gentle wisdom, he said to his mother, Mom, we are all dying. So when and why do they ever matter? And she turned to her husband and said, We've really wasted. Some time. And I do not want that to be your thoughts in your last days. Because we're all terminal. We all have only so many more days in these mortal bodies. Don't waste any refusing to another. So pray with me, Father. I'm asking now in Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, and because of Jesus' sacrifice that we didn't earn and that we don't deserve, but that was freely given, that you would help us. Live out the gospel that saved us. That you would help us recover our very best speech. And that we will speak it to your glory and for Jesus' name. Amen. And so you see, it begins with accepting acceptance. And some of you haven't. You cannot earn God's acceptance. You don't deserve it. It is freely offered through Jesus. You need to receive it. You need to confess what Jesus has done for you. You need to be baptized as an act of faith into that cross moment. And you need to cross the line and finally accept the offer of God's acceptance. We're going to give you that chance as we sing our next song. Our elders are also going to be down front if you need to pray with them today They will be here as well. Would you all stand? Let's sing about great God as you come.